Section 34 of Volume 1A of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1A, Section 34. Chapter 7, Part 1. Stephen. Contemporary Monarchs. Emperor of Germany, Lothar II, 1138. Conrad III, 1152. Frederick I. King of Scotland, David I, 1143. Malcolm IV, Lucius II, 1145. King of France, Louis VI, 1137. Louis the Seventh, King of Spain, Alphonse the Eighth, Popes Innocent the Second, eleven forty two, Celestin the Second, eleven forty four, Eugenius the Third, eleven fifty three, Anastasius the Fourth. In the progress and settlement of the feudal law, the male succession to fiefs had taken place some time before the female was admitted, and estates being considered as military benefices not as property, were transmitted to such only as could serve in the armies, and perform in person the conditions upon which they were originally granted. But when the continuance of rights during some generations in the same family had in a great measure obliterated the primitive idea, the females were gradually admitted to the possession of feudal property, and the same revolution of principles which procured them the inheritance of private estates naturally introduced their succession to government and authority the failure therefore of male heirs to the kingdom of england and the duchy of normandy seemed to leave the succession open without a rival to the empress matilda and as henry had made all his vassals in both states swear fealty to her he presumed that they would not easily be induced to depart at once from her hereditary right and from their own reiterated oaths and engagements but the irregular manner in which he himself had acquired the crown might have instructed him that neither his norman or english subjects were as yet capable of hearing to a strict rule of government and as every precedent of this kind seems to give authority to new usurpations he had reason to dread even from his own family some invasion of his daughter's title which he had taken such pains to establish adela daughter of william the conqueror had been married to stephen count of blois and had brought him several sons among whom stephen and henry the two youngest had been invited over to england by the late king and had received great honours riches and preferment from the zealous friendship which that prince bore to every one that had been so fortunate as to acquire his favour and good opinion henry who had betaken himself to the ecclesiastical profession was created abbot of glastonbury and bishop of winchester and though these dignities were considerable stephen had from his uncle's liberality attained establishments still more solid and durable the king had married him to matilda who was daughter and heir of eustace count of bologna and who brought him besides that feudal sovereignty in france an immense property in england which in the distribution of lands had been conferred by the conqueror on the family of bologna 
stephen also by this marriage acquired a new connection with the royal family of england as mary his wife's mother was sister to david the reigning king of scotland and to matilda the first wife of henry and mother of the empress the king still imagining that he strengthened the interests of his family by the aggrandizement of stephen took pleasure in enriching him by the grant of new possessions and he conferred on him the great estate forfeited by robert mallet in england and that forfeited by the earl of mortain in normandy stephen in return professed great attachment to his uncle and appeared so zealous for the succession of matilda that when the barons swore fealty to that princess he contended with robert earl of gloucester the king's natural son who should first be admitted to give her this testimony of devoted zeal and fidelity meanwhile he continued to cultivate by every art of popularity the friendship of the english nation and many virtues with which he seemed to be endowed favored the success of his intentions by his bravery activity and vigor he acquired the esteem of the barons by his generosity and by an affable and familiar address unusual in that age among men of his high quality he obtained the affections of the people particularly the londoners and though he dared not to take any steps towards his further grandeur lest he should expose himself to the jealousy of so penetrating a prince as henry he still hoped by accumulating riches and power and by acquiring popularity he might in time be able to open his way to the throne no sooner had henry breathed his last than stephen insensible to all the ties of gratitude and fidelity and blind to danger gave full reins to his criminal ambition and trusted that even without any previous intrigue the celerity of his enterprise and the boldness of his attempt might overcome the weak attachment which the english and normans in that age bore to the laws and to the rights of their sovereign he hastened over to england and though the citizens of dover and those of canterbury apprised of his purpose shut their gates against him he stopped not till he arrived at london where some of the lower rank instigated by his emissaries as well as moved by his general popularity immediately saluted him king his next point was to acquire the good will of the clergy and by performing the ceremony of his coronation to put himself in possession of the throne from which he was confident it would not be easy afterwards to expel him his brother the bishop of winchester was useful to him in these capital articles having gained roger bishop of salisbury who though he owned a great fortune and advancement to the favor of the late king preserved no sense of gratitude to that prince's family he applied in conjunction with that prelate to william archbishop of canterbury and required him in virtue of his office to give the royal unction to stephen the primate who as all the others had sworn fealty to matilda refused to perform this ceremony but his opposition was overcome by an expedient equally dishonorable with the other steps by which this revolution was effected. Hugh Bigode, steward of the household, made oath before the primate that the late king on his deathbed had shown a dissatisfaction with his daughter Matilda and had expressed his intention of leaving the Count of Bologna heir to all his dominions. William, either believing or feigning to believe Bigode's testimony, anointed Stephen 
and put the crown upon his head and from this religious ceremony that prince without any shadow either of hereditary title or consent of the nobility or people was allowed to proceed to the exercise of sovereign authority very few barons attended his coronation but none opposed his usurpation however unjust or flagrant the sentiment of religion which if corrupted into superstition has often little efficacy in fortifying the duties of civil society was not affected by the multiplied oaths taken in favour of matilda and only rendered the people obedient to a prince who was countenanced by the clergy and who had received from the primate the right of royal unction and consecration stephen that he might further secure his tottering throne passed a charter in which he made liberal promises to all orders of men to the clergy that he would speedily fill all vacant benefices and would never levy the rents of any of them during the vacancy to the nobility that he would reduce the royal forests to their ancient boundaries and correct all encroachments and to the people that he would remit the tax of danegelt and restore the laws of king edward the late king had a great treasure at winchester amounting to a hundred thousand pounds and stephen by seizing this money immediately turned against henry's family the precaution which that prince had employed for their grandeur and security an event which naturally attends the policy of amassing treasures by means of this money the usurper ensured the compliance though not the attachment of the principal clergy and nobility but not trusting to this frail security he invited over from the continent particularly from brittany and flanders great numbers of those bravos or disorderly soldiers with whom every country in europe by reason of the general ill police and turbulent government extremely abounded these mercenary troops guarded his throne by the terrors of the sword and stephen that he might also overawe all malcontents by new and additional terrors of religion procured a bull from rome which ratified his title and which the pope seeing this prince in possession of the throne and pleased with an appeal to his authority in secular controversies very readily granted him matilda and her husband geoffrey were as unfortunate in normandy as they had been in england the norman nobility moved by an hereditary animosity against the angevins first applied to theobod count of blois stephen's elder brother for protection and assistance but hearing afterwards that stephen had got possession of the english crown and having many of them the same reasons as formerly for desiring a continuance of their union with that kingdom they transferred their allegiance to stephen and put him in possession of their government louis the younger the reigning king of france accepted the homage of eustace stephen's eldest son for the duchy and the more to corroborate his connections with that family he betrothed his sister constantia to the young prince the count of blois assigned all his pretensions and received in lieu of them an annual pension of two thousand marks and geoffrey himself was obliged to conclude a truce of two years with stephen on condition of the king's paying him during that time a pension of five thousand stephen who had taken a journey to normandy finished all these transactions in person and soon after returned to england robert earl of gloucester natural son of the late king was a man of honour and abilities and as he was much attached to the interests of his sister matilda and zealous for the lineal succession 
it was chiefly from his intrigues and resistance that the king had reason to dread a new revolution of government this nobleman who was in normandy when he received intelligence of stephen's accession found himself much embarrassed concerning the measures which he should pursue in that difficult emergency to swear allegiance to the usurper appeared to him dishonorable and a breach of his oath to matilda to refuse giving this pledge of his fidelity was to banish himself from england and be totally incapacitated from serving the royal family or contributing to their restoration he offered stephen to do him homage and to take the oath of fealty but with an express condition that the king should maintain all his stipulations and should never invade any of robert's rights or dignities and stephen though sensible that this reserve so unusual in itself and so unbefitting the duty of his subject was meant only to afford robert a pretence for a revolt on the first favorable opportunity was obliged by the numerous friends and retainers of that nobleman to receive him on those terms the clergy who could scarcely at this time be deemed subjects to the crown imitated that dangerous example they annexed to their oaths of allegiance this condition that they were only bound so long as the king defended the ecclesiastical liberties and supported the discipline of the church the barons in return for their submission exacted terms still more destructive of public peace as well as the royal authority many of them required the right of fortifying their castles and of putting themselves in a posture of defence and the king found himself totally unable to refuse his consent to this exorbitant demand all england was immediately filled with those fortresses which the noblemen garrisoned either with their vassals or with licentious soldiers who flocked to them from all quarters unbounded rapine was exercised upon the people for the maintenance of these troops and private animosities which had with dignity been restrained by law now breaking out without control rendered england a scene of uninterrupted violence and devastation wars between the nobles were carried on with the utmost fury in every quarter the barons even assumed the right of coining money and of exercising without appeal every act of jurisdiction and the inferior gentry as well as the people finding no defence from the laws during this total dissolution of sovereign authority were obliged for their immediate safety to pay court to some neighbouring chieftain and to purchase his protection both by submitting to his exactions and by assisting him in his repine upon others the erection of one castle proved the immediate cause of building many others and even those who obtained not the king's permission thought that they were entitled by the great principle of self-preservation to put themselves on an equal footing with their neighbours who commonly were also their enemies and rivals the aristocratical power which is usually so oppressive in feudal governments had now risen to its utmost height during the reign of a prince who though endowed with vigour and abilities had usurped the throne without the pretence of a title who was necessitated to tolerate in others the same violence to which he himself had been holden for his sovereignty but stephen was not of a disposition to submit long to these usurpations without making some effort for the recovery of royal authority finding that the legal prerogatives of the crown were resisted and abridged 
he was also tempted to make his power the sole measure of his conduct and to violate all those concessions which he himself had made on his accession as well as the ancient privileges of his subjects the mercenary soldiers who chiefly supported his authority having exhausted the royal treasure subsisted by depredations and every place was filled with the best grounded complaints against the government the earl of gloucester having now settled with his friends the plan of an insurrection retired beyond sea sent the king a defiance solemnly renounced his allegiance and upbraided him with the breach of those conditions which had been annexed to the oath of fealty sworn by that nobleman david king of scotland appeared at the head of an army in defence of his niece's title and penetrating into yorkshire committed the most barbarous devastations on that country the fury of his massacres and ravages enraged the northern nobility who might otherwise have been inclined to join him and william earl of albemarle robert de ferris william piercy robert de bruce roger mowbray gilbert lacy walter lespay powerful barons in those parts assembled an army with which they encamped at north allerton and waited the arrival of the enemy a great battle was here fought called the battle of the standard from a high crucifix erected by the english on a wagon and carried along with the army as a military ensign the king of scots was defeated and he himself as well as his son henry narrowly escaped falling into the hands of the english this success overawed the malcontents in england and might have given some stability to stephen's throne had he not been so elated with prosperity as to engage in a controversy with the clergy who were at that time an overmatch for any monarch though the great power of the church in ancient times weakened the authority of the crown and interrupted the course of the laws it may be doubted whether in ages of violence and outrage it was not rather advantageous that some limits were set to the power of the sword both in the hands of the prince and nobles and that men were taught to pay regard to some principles and privileges the chief misfortune was that the prelates on some occasions acted entirely as barons employed military power against their sovereign or their neighbors and thereby often increased those disorders which it was their duty to repress the bishop of salisbury in imitation of the nobility had built two strong castles one at sherborne another at devizes and had laid the foundation of a third at malmesbury his nephew alexander bishop of lincoln had erected a fortress at newark and stephen who was now sensible from experience to the mischiefs attending these multiplied citadels resolved to begin with destroying those of the clergy who by their function seem less entitled than the barons to such military securities making pretence of a fray which had arisen in court between the retinue of the bishop of salisbury and that of the earl of brittany he seized both that prelate and the bishop of lincoln threw them into prison and obliged them by menaces to deliver up those places of strength which they had lately erected henry bishop of winchester the king's brother being armed with a legantine commission now conceived himself to be an ecclesiastical sovereign no less powerful than the civil and forgetting the ties of blood which connected him to the king he resolved to vindicate the clerical privileges which he pretended were here openly violated 
he assembled a synod at westminster and there complained of the impiety of stephen's measures who had employed violence against the dignitaries of the church and had not awaited the sentence of a spiritual court by which alone he affirmed they could lawfully be tried and condemned if their conduct had anywise merited censure or punishment the synod ventured to send a summons to the king charging him to appear before them and to justify his measures and stephen instead of resenting this indignity sent aubrey de vere to plead his cause before that assembly de vere accused the two prelates of treason and sedition but the synod refused to try the cause or examine their conduct till those castles of which they had been dispossessed were previously restored to them the bishop of salisbury declared that he would appeal to the pope and had not stephen and his partisans employed menaces and even shown a disposition of executing violence by the hands of the soldiery affairs had instantly come to extremity between the crown and the mitre end of section thirty four recording by richard carpenter in seattle washington